0: Hey, well, it's so good to be with all of you at home. And oftentimes when I'm not preaching, I should join you th- online in my office so that I experience what you're experiencing. And so good to see so many of you here in this space as well. You know, when you were raising kids, at somewhere, uh, somewhere along the line, did your child ever say this, especially uh, to their older sibling? Did your child ever say, You're not the boss of me. Your kids ever say that? You're not my boss, or you're not the boss of me. Maybe you said it when you were growing older. Uh, It's kids saying, uh, I am fully in control. You can't tell me what to do, how to feel, and things of that nature. It is our incessant desire to be autonomous and to not be told uh, what we must do. You know, Jesus comes into the temple, and he acts like the boss. He is uh, dictating how worship should be done, and he's teaching. And the religious authorities at their time had to make a decision. Will they acquiesce to what Jesus was doing, or will they uh, oppose him? Are they going to accept him? Or reject him are they going to fall down in worship because Jesus is claiming to be someone who is boss or will they assert their authority and oppose him arrest him and execute him for the next few weeks we're going to talk about a confrontation that Jesus is having with the authorities and they will challenge Jesus and Jesus will challenge them Uh, We're going to just do Bible for the next few weeks, all throughout Easter, and today we're looking at chapter 11, starting verse 27, uh, until about chapter 12, verse 12, and today uh, we'll we'll look at a couple of uh, stories, they're all related. Um, The first half, I'm going to talk about the question of authority, and second half, the rejection of authority. The question of authority, chapter 11, verse 27. They came to Jerusalem as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him and began saying to him, by what authority are you doing these things or who gave you uh, this authority to do these things? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question and you answer me and then I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? Answer me. They began reasoning among themselves saying if we say from heaven he will say then why did you not believe him but shall we say from men they were afraid of the people for everyone considered john to have been a real prophet answering jesus they said we do not know and jesus said to them nor will i tell you by what authority i do these things this is um, under the uh, roman numeral one the question of authority on Monday, Jesus came, if you recall, into the temple, the court of the Gentiles, and, and acted like he's the boss. He disrupted uh, temple operations. And the temple is designed for this primary purpose the temple is designed for people to come and reconnect with God. Uh, to, the temple is the place where there is mediation between a sinful man and a holy God so they would come before God and they would uh, in order to be forgiven bring an animal sacrifice give it to the priests and priests would take uh, the, the animal inspected make sure that it is approved and they would make a sacrifice so that individual that worshiper could be forgiven the temple's primary purpose was to serve as a, a vehicle of mediation between a sinful man and a holy God Jesus was disrupting that turning over tables uh, driving people out from the court And Saying this is supposed to be a house of prayer for the people, but you've made it a robber's den. Another thing that Jesus was doing he was uh, teaching in the court of the Gentiles in an unauthorized manner Uh, And the other important thing that the religious elites had the authority that they had was to teach the Bible they were the final arbiters of the Word of God and Jesus comes in and um, in chapter 11, last week, verses 27 through 33, he, he disrupts temple operation. And on Tuesday and possibly Wednesday, he's going around the temple, walking in the temple. By the way, that when we talk about a temple, the temple here, it's not a real small space. In fact, historians believe that in this particular period of time, the temple covered about 35 acres of space, which is about 14 times Living Hope and its parking lot. And so when Jesus is walking in around the temple, he, he, he's walking in different areas and teaching. Um, and, and, and teaching authoritatively, he is disrupting the mediating work that the priests were doing between a sinful man and a holy God. And he was t- Jesus was teaching in a way that was different from what the priests or the scribes were doing and in verse 27 the chief priests the scribes and the elders and these are important people to chief priests these were the people who were designated to serve as officers of the temple Uh, uh, the scribes these were the authoritative interpreters of the bible they would uh, dictate what the bible really meant and the elders when the when the Gospels talk about the elders, not the church later on talking about elders, they're talking about the Sanhedrins. The Sanhedrin was a, like a religious congress of Israel. Uh, comprised of 70 leaders, representatives, who made uh, who who ruled Israel in that way. And so although people came from different parties, like the parties of the Sadducees, the party of the Pharisees and such, uh, representatives formed the Sanhedrin. So it's, it would be as if the Democrats, Republicans, the, Repu- uh, the Libertarians and the Green Party all came together. And though they had their differences, right now at this moment, they were of one mind in that they did not like what Jesus was doing doing they were the boss but jesus is acting like he is the boss and so they come in verse 28 by what authority are you doing these things or who gave you this authority to do these things the term authority exousia in greek is mentioned three times not only here but also in verse 33 they're asking jesus who made you boss what right do you have to dictate how worship should be done, what right do you have, what qualifications do you have to interpret authoritatively the Bible. And to be honest with you, I think the religious elite were very proper, appropriate, in challenging Jesus at this moment. If you think about it, on a given Sunday, if a random stranger came in and, and they disrupted what the ushers are doing, if they went to the AV people saying, no, 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 you're doing that wrong. And, and while I'm trying to teach, the, the stranger comes up and say, no, 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 Pastor Steve is way off, let me teach. I think it would be appropriate for the welcoming team uh, or, or someone else's security to come and, and say, no, no, we need to talk to you. I, I don't know how many of you have been to the state of Utah, but apparently the fifth most visited place in the state of Utah, for tourists, is the Mormon Temple in uh, Salt Lake City. Uh, It's a historical place, and it's a large place. And if you go there, you can do uh, multiple things. You can listen to a performance by the famous, world-famous Mormon Tabernacle Choir. You can uh, look up your genealogy. In fact, the Mormon Church has the largest database of genealogy in the world. Um, and also you can look at a replica of what's in the temple because non-Mormons are not allowed to go inside, but you can see a replica of it. But as a tourist, if you go there and you disrupt operation, you tell the, the choir that's wrong, if you, if you say to the genealogy people, no, no, what you're doing is inappropriate, uh, if you turn over the tables, security will be called in, appropriately so, and if you don't cooperate, I expect you to be arrested. They come and say, who gave you the authority? Jesus, who made you think that you were boss here? Do you have any kind of title? Are you an officer? Do you, did someone give you an appointment, an installation? We're the Sanhedrin. We've been elected or appointed to, the, to, to make decisions. We're the high priest from the line of Levi. Levi. Uh, We've been uh, approved by King Herod and the Roman Empire to do what we're doing. Who are you? Who gave you the authority to teach? Now, where is your seminary degree from? Where are you ordained from? Are Are you a bachelor, master, or did you get a PhD? The scribes, we're the experts. Who are you to teach here? One of the things that followed Jesus from the beginning of his public ministry is this. In Mark chapter 2, when Jesus starts his public ministry, what he does is he goes into the synagogue on the Sabbath. So it's like Sunday formal meeting time and he begins to teach. And it says in Mark chapter 1 verse 22 that they were astonished at Jesus' teaching for they taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes, one of the things that surprised those who were listening to Jesus' teaching is this. His teaching was different. The scribes, they taught via footnotes and bibliography, for those of you who are in academia. He would quote other people, well, Gamaliel said this, well, this rabbi interpreted it this way. But one of the distinguishing marks, the traits of the teaching of Jesus is this. Listen carefully. Um, on 75 different occasions in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus begins his teaching by saying, Truly, truly, I say to you. He's not deferring to the research of someone else or the authority of someone else, but he quotes himself: it's like first person authority. I say to you later on in that story jesus is teaching at the synagogue uh, and they were astonished because he's teaching first person in that way and then a man with an unclean spirit uh, uh, a demon possessed individual comes out and jesus heals him drives the demon out and in verse 27 they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves saying what is this A new teaching with authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Jesus' teaching was not different because he was funnier, more researched, more nuanced, more convicting. It was categorically different. He taught firsthand, first person, as with authority, and he backed it up with power. He wasn't simply teaching uh, physics, but he was changing the laws of physics, categorically different who made you boss what gave you the right that was their question appropriately so and that was that followed Jesus throughout his ministry career and Jesus answers this particular question with a question verse 29 Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question, and you answer me, and then I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Who made me boss? Let me ask you. If you answer this, I'll give you my answer. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? Answer me. Do you remember John the Baptist? You guys remember John the Baptist? He's a hippie guy who had one change of clothes, leather belt, he ate bugs and wild honey. Remember him? He had no official title. Uh, we don't know of a, a degree that he received. He didn't teach in the temple or in the synagogues. Uh, he was homeless, so he taught by the river, like a van by the river, the Saturday night school. He was the preacher by the river. He did not have A a good uh, positive relationship necessarily with religious elites. In fact, in Matthew chapter 3, verses 7 through 10, and when John saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, and so these these religious officials who had authority came to check John out because he was getting so popular. He says to them, You brood of vipers. You bunch of snakes. Uh, he's, he's calling them out. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bear fruit in keeping with, with repentance? What John says to the religious elites at that time is you are not showing repentance. The thing that you lack is Repentance. This is the problem with the religious elite, that they thought that Israel had a problem, and so that's why they were under occupation. They were being punished, you know, collectively. But they believed they were part of the solution, not part of the problem. They thought that others should repent, but not they themselves. They understood why others would flock to John the Baptist because they needed to repent, but they themselves didn't need to repent because they were holy. They knew the Bible. They were from the right family. They held the credentials. John said, bear bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Let your repentance be real. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able uh, from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Don't say I grew up in a good Christian family and that my my parents and my grandparents are pastors and elders and and missionaries. Don't say that. I can raise up. MKs and PKs from the rocks. Even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. If there is no repentance, God will judge. After hearing this, the religious elite, they began reasoning among themselves, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, then why did you not believe him? Because they did not. But shall we say from men, they were afraid of the people. For everyone considered John to have been a real prophet. I believe this was just a brilliant, brilliant argument by Jesus. They were cornered. And their right, self-righteous attitude prevented them from acknowledging, listening to the hippie, prophet john the baptist and now it's brought them to this point when they asked jesus who made you boss they realized uh, they had also rejected john the baptist who was widely uh, regarded by the by the people as a true prophet not having a right answer verse 33 answering jesus they said we do not know and jesus said to them nor will i tell you by what authority i do these things I I mic drop there. Let's go to the second point, which is the rejection of authority, chapter 12 now. And I believe in some ways this is not a different story, but this is not only a continuation of the first story, but the answer to the first story. The question, who made you boss, by what authority? And I believe this particular parable that Jesus tells is the answer to the question, by what authority? Verse 1, and he began to speak to them in parables. parable is a fictitious story uh, designed to, uh, to tell a moral, to give a lesson. A man planted a vineyard and put a wall around it and dug a vat under the winepress and built a tower and rented it out to uh, vine growers and went on a journey. This is a story that Isaiah tells in his uh, book, uh, but it is also somewhat common, and this is not something unusual at all. Uh, a, a man owned a piece of property he prepared the ground, building walls around it so it's secure. He planted vineyard, a vineyard, uh, which was a uh, common in that area. He dug a vat and a tower and a wine press so that it is uh, c- completely ready for someone to come and work, work the ground, work the vineyard, in order to produce uh, grapes and, 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 and fruit. And what he does is he rents it out to vine growers and went on a journey not unusual at all my land my uh, building my wall my vineyard uh, i need someone i need a group of people to work it and will and when it comes harvest i will come and will share nothing unusual so far Verse 2, at the harvest time, the owner sent a slave to the vine growers in order to receive some of the produce of the vineyard from the vine growers. Normal so far. And the, the story takes a turn in verse 3. It says, uh, when the slave came, the renters or the vine growers did not give uh, to, to the owner, the messenger, a part of the produce, but instead they beat up the slave and sent him uh, empty-handed. That was wrong. The owner sends another slave, and the renters, it says he, they literally bash him in the head. And they humiliate him and send him away. Humiliation in that particular culture could have mean that they shaved his head. Would have been extremely shameful for a Jew. or they, uh, And this sometimes happened if you read the Old Testament. They, they would cut off the, the bottom half of it, the, uh, the slave's robe so his bottom is exposed, and they send him away. Humiliating him, Uh, and as listeners, as readers, we're listening to the story, and we're going, "What a bunch of thugs!" Uh, The owner sends another slave, and the renters they kill that third slave and did so with many others, beating some and killing others. I remember a long time ago when I was reading this story, and I I, I, I was getting angry. We read this, and don't you get agitated? You grow angrier and angrier at the vine growers. And also you kind of start getting frustrated at the owner. Why do you keep sending slaves? Why don't you send the police? Why don't you send someone who would, who would by force, uh, reckon with them? But in verse 6, the owner had one more to send, a beloved son. Not a, not a son that it was disposable, not a son that he didn't like, but a beloved son. And this is his rationale. He sent him, last of all, to them, saying, they will respect my son, my son. Surely they will respect my son. But those vine growers said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. They took him, killed him, threw him out of the vineyard. The unthinkable. And as listeners, back then and now, we're thinking this is horrible. Uh, There is only one conclusion for these renters. Jesus asks in Matthew's Uh, parallel version of this story, Matthew chapter 21 verses 40 through 41. Now he's talking to remember uh, some of the, the most religious elites of the country. So these are the people who knew justice and law better than anyone else. If there was a dispute in the country, they would oftentimes go to the Sanhedrin or the scribes and ask, what is the proper thing to do? I, I rented my home to this person, and when I came to collect rent, he, he did not pay rent. In fact, he abused those whom I sent. What is the proper thing? So Jesus asks this question in Matthew's version. When, therefore, the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to these tenants? They the religious leaders said to Jesus, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their season. The owners should uh, put to death the miserable death, these wretches. That's what he should do. That's what he will do. And then turn the vineyard over to someone who's more deserving. That's how the religious elite answer this particular question. And in, in uh, Mark's version, uh, Jesus reflects back their answer, and he says to them, He, the owner, will come and destroy the vine growers and will give the vineyard to others. And I believe at some point in time, just right about here, uh, the religious elites, the smart people here, understood something. That Jesus was not giving them a parable to see if they intellectually understood justice, if they can rightly divide, uh, uh, ascertain justice according to the Bible. I think that's what they were thinking that, well, he's testing how smart we are. And so we gave him the right answer. Somewhere along the line, he realized, oh, and they realized that Je- that's not what Jesus was doing, but rather, Jesus was giving them this parable to indict them to accuse them. That they weren't third parties listening to the story to uh, to pass down judgment, but they were in the story. And this is where they were in the story. The vineyard is Israel, a holy nation, uh, uh, beloved and set apart by God. The uh, the, uh, the vineyard owner is God who owns all of it and has authority over all of it. And to and those uh, tenants, those who were given temporary assignment, and it's not theirs, they were merely stewards, a, a, a position of privilege, though. They were the earthly leaders of Israel, the scribes, the priests, the, the, the elders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the slaves that, The owner said, they're the messengers of the owner, Old Testament prophets, Um, John the Baptist, who were despised, mistreated, derided by Israel. And finally, the beloved son, Jesus himself. He ends by quoting from Psalm chapter 118, verses 22 and 23. Have you not even read the scripture the stone which the builders rejected. This became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord, and it is marvelous in our eyes. You know, one of the things that we sometimes misunderstand about the Old Testament is this. We think that when we, in the New Testament era, read Isaiah and Jeremiah and Malachi and, um, and Zechariah and Amos, and we think that these were the heroes of Israel, and they are... But they weren't heroes during their their time. They were roundly rejected because their message, the, the message of a lot of these prophets, weren't like God loves Israel and has a wonderful plan for her, but rather their message was, we're sinning. We're deserving of judgment. We must repent. It is said that Isaiah was sawn in two. Hebrews 11, verse 37 talks about righteous preachers being sawn in two. Jeremiah was was routinely derided, hated by his own countrymen. We call him the weeping prophet because he's always weeping at his nation and his treatment. John the Baptist was rejected, as was Zechariah, and Amos, and uh, Micaiah. They realized what Jesus was doing, uh, that this was an indictment against them, and they were part of that system that rejected, even as just now, John the Baptist. Verse 12, they were seeking to seize him, and yet they feared the people, for they understood that Jesus spoke the parable against them, and they left him and went away, and they were left speechless again. They came to ask Jesus, what right do you have? What authority do you have? Who made you boss? And Jesus, with um, a question and with a parable, turned the table against them god entrusted israel to you god entrusted the message to you what have you done god gave you authority what did you do with that authority god gave you the word of god what did you do with that word of god the parable like i said is actually the answer to the question that they asked by what authority Uh, jesus Is your authority a title, or is your authority an education, a degree? In the parable, he answers this question. The Father sent a beloved Son. That's his authority, that he comes as the Son of God. He comes not with a degree, although Jesus is omniscient. He comes not not with an earthly title, although he is the King of Kings. But his ultimate authority comes because he is the son of God who is rejected and nailed to a cross. That's his authority. And I want you to understand that because Jesus is the son of the vineyard or the son of God, his authority is not simply the ability to tell the priest this is how uh, sacrifice should be conducted, his authority is not simply this is how the Bible should be interpreted. Uh, along the way, when Jesus is questioned about his authority, uh, the fact that he is the Son of God implies his authority extends so much more. In fact, in Mark chapter 2, verse 10, but uh, you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth, listen carefully, to forgive sins. And John chapter 5, verse 27 says that he has given him authority to execute judgment. And then John chapter 10, verse 18, when he speaks of death and resurrection, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father, Jesus says, I have authority over life and death. In fact, when Jesus stands before Pilate, who was recognized as the most powerful individual in that area, Pilate says to Jesus, don't you know that I have authority over your life and death? Jesus replies to Pilate, no, you don't. Your authority comes only uh, from what God my Father has given to you. Listen. Listen. I think as a good Christians, so many of us in the space, and if you're watching um, and or if you're in the space, I, I, I consider us a part of the religious, uh, small, narrow of people who believe that uh, maybe the people out there need repentance, but we do not. Well, at least not as much. John the Baptist says to us, bear the fruit of repentance. And, and we believe that we live under the, the lordship of Jesus Christ That he is the boss. But at the same time, this is what we all do. That Jesus can tell me how to worship, how to live, but only if I agree with it. That he can teach me truth, but not when I don't feel like it. That being a Christian means... Abiding by, listening to, agreeing with 95% of what God does and teaches and demands. But there's a part of our lives we say, but I'm going to date who I want to date. I will do with my life what fulfills me. That my private life, I'm going to keep to myself. That Jesus is my boss but only the areas in which I allow him to be. My friends, Jesus is either our Lord, our boss, or not. But it is when we uh, submit completely to the the boss or the lordship of Jesus Christ that we also uh, gain all of it, including the forgiveness of sin and life after death. That's the great news. And so can I invite you at this time as the band comes up, can I ask you at this time to just bow your heads? Would you take a minute and come before our Lord Jesus Christ and he, uh, as he turns over the table and he drives people out of your life and then as he uh, teaches you, convicts you and me, and there are areas, and we are quietly saying to him, but you're not my boss, but this is my life. This is, uh, Lord Jesus, don't touch this portion. Would you take that, those areas and saying, I, I want to commit fully, lay naked before you. Would you, would you pray that right now? we ask that your grace would be upon us, not because we are more righteous than the Pharisees and the Sadducees, but we recognize that we are as uh, hypocritical and as arrogant um, as they were. And so we come to you with fruit of repentance. And if there are areas that we're holding back from you, Lord, would you make it evident to us and may we be able, Lord to embrace you fully come and fall down in worship we thank you would you stand with me right now and, and before we get into our last song I'm, I'm gonna ask us to do something last Sunday at the 11 30 service time I asked us to pray for a friend of ours uh, pastor Bob Reeve, of the cause church which is in the church right down the street here like from here, and you know, we talk about. I talk about this periodically that the churches in prayer we have such a great relationship that the pastors are friends first. That we're not, um, we're all part of one big church, and we root each other on. Um, I asked for prayer last Sunday because we're uh, Pastor Bob uh, was struggling with COVID, and he may go. He was back in the hospital. We were we're uncertain. Uh, yesterday, about 4 p.m went home to be with the Lord. Got, a, got a contacted by their associate pastor. It was a shocking turn of events. Devastating. And, and I, I want you to know, um, Pastor Bob was a kind man, a, a generous remember like um, in the sanctuary we have a like acrylic shield around our drum set uh, you know we were considering getting something like that buying something like that we weren't sure how effective that would be and i was visiting them one time and i asked one of their associate pastors about that and he said you know we're not using ours i, I said can we borrow it for a couple of weeks to see and he let us bar- they let us borrow it and we returned it and uh, a few weeks later he said he called me and said hey steve do you guys want it No, we just want to give that to you, and thank you. So um, you know, with a couple thousand dollars worth of a, a drum shield. They just gifted to us because the cause did not see living hope. Although down the street, as competition, but.